Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 299 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have our regular contributor, writer, activist, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. And Kitty and I talk about family, identity, home, being alone. We talk about being a parent and how we have cellular memory. We talk a bit about Derrida and Nietzsche and how we are always changing, perhaps, and confidence, how important it is. Also, self-oppression and she shares a poem titled All You Want Too. Great conversation with regular contributor today, Kitty Bell Burbank. We also have an EW essay titled Breathe. Several excerpts from a fantastic little book. Literally, it's a little book by Buddhist monk Thichnot Han titled How to Sit. And we have a poem called Crazy. All of this, of course, as is always the case, will be imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It's so wonderful to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 299 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Yeah. 
everybody had a hard year Everybody had a good time Everybody had a wet dream Everybody saw the sunshine Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah Everybody had a good year Everybody let the hair down Everybody pulled the socks up Everybody put the food down Oh yeah as it is to me in my fifth decade, all too often seems inglorious. Several years back, my existential crisis occurred at once. All the institutions so solid, so important in any sense of my existence, started to show their cracks, if not totally collapsing. Government, marriage, neighborhood, workplace. So what does one do? All of these commercial means by which to fill the void, to nourish the soul, though no matter how much you buy in, they don't. The holidays are constructed on top of fairy tales and fear, on selfish pursuits of happiness, and a sense of entitlement for love. What of it, though? Who am I? Who are you? Who are we? Where do we go from here? What for? To what end? Bah humbug, I suppose. Old anxiety and all that balderdash, too. I don't want to give up, nor do I hope that for you. Are you waiting for some nicely rationalized ending, neatly presented, earnest and quaint, dripping with a need for love and acceptance? Sorry to disappoint. Not really. Instead, smug and hip in my fatalism. Perhaps a cry for help, masked as a strong, sensitive, and damaged man. If only I might be found and understood, it will go away, this terrible outlook. I, and thus you, and everything, will be okay. Oh, boy. Happy holiday. The sun still shines on occasion, and I can focus on my breath to breathe rather than to seethe, and an awakening more true may occur, as it is, as it were. Breathe.
Kitty Bell Burbank, is that you? Hi, is my connection okay? In uh, connection to what, the universe? Uh, <laughs> it stuttered for a minute, so I was worried that my internet would slow. No, so far so good, Kitty Bell Burbank on Troubadours and Rock on Tours, our uh, resident baker and candlestick maker, as well as a great writer and a pretty motivated, passionate activist, too. So, so nice to have you on the show again. Thank you. It's good to be here, as usual. And uh, we usually have you on right around this time, the holiday time of year, uh, yes. uh, for several reasons. You, you have a good energy for this time of year and a good perspective as well. And you bake a lot of cookies, too, I know, right? <laughs> yes, I'm getting ready to do that. Excellent. actually have off Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So, oh, wow. and then Tuesday. But, um, so I'm looking forward to filling the house with delicious fragrance. Are, are you uh, going to have any helpers? Yes. Miranda is coming in from San Diego. Um, very soon on Wednesday, Thursday. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, her friend's picking her up from the airport, so I don't know when to see her, but she will be here. That's excellent. That's excellent. So uh, what about... That's what Christmas means to me. <laughs> your, yeah, your children coming in, the loved ones. What about Frances? Uh, she's here, yeah. She just ran out the door to go to work. And she's, uh, you know, she uh, got stockings for us. With our initials on them, except hers is very furry and fancy. So I don't know if they just didn't have any Fs for Francis or um, if she's just that special. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Makes quite the statement, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds like Francis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she stands out. Yeah, you have good kids. I'm happy that uh, they're going to be with you, uh, helping out with cookies and, and all that stuff. It's important. It is, more so than ever, I think. Well, why do you say that? I guess I took them for granted when they were little, you know? Like, of course they were here. They had to be. They had no other choice. So the fact that they could go anywhere and they choose to be with me is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it isn't. You know, we, we want to talk today about family, so perfect. You know, the, the importance of family. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you basically uh, are a single parent. And uh, so you, you did most all of the work raising your children. And um, now they're in their 20s and uh, starting their own lives, um, more so independently trying to figure out what they're going to do, who they are and all that, as we continue to do that ourselves as uh, older <laughs> people. Um, evolving. But, uh, evolving. There you go. That's yeah. a good, good way of putting it. Um, but yeah, when you're raising kids, especially on your own, you do get overwhelmed with all the, the energy, the time, the responsibility of, of creating a family that sometimes you do for, take them for granted. Yeah. I mean, it's just there's so much immediate need and it, you're just constantly trying to give them half of what you know you think they should have. And um, it, it's... I mean, they're people, of course they are, but they're, you know, I, I, I joke that Frances still thinks there is like an umbilical cord between us because she just helps herself to anything it's mine with, without asking. Like she doesn't see 
boundaries between two different people sometimes. Um, but I think that, yeah, as a parent, you're like that. Your kids are part of you, you know, and when they break off and, and go into orbit, it's, it's, are they going to come back? You don't know. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that you, you put it well. That's what most uh, parents deal with and, and uh, struggle with because, I mean, you want them to, I would imagine, uh, you in particular, and I, I think this is the best way, uh, you want them to be independent. You want them to be able to handle themselves in the world. You don't want them to have to need you, but you want them to still come around and, and have a relationship with you and a, and a significant connection in, uh, with you. Yeah. You want to still be of use to them. Like I can be a coach sometime for Francis if it's only saying, yeah, you're okay to go after that. You know, you don't don't feel bad because somebody else wants that same opportunity. You know, go get it. Like you don't have to apologize for, you know, trying to get things. And, and like she needs to hear that. Right, right. I mean – the best thing we could be is an experienced consultant and, and uh, you know, also uh, a connection to to the history of, of our own family to help them understand where they come from, who they are to a certain extent as well, without oppressing them with that and saying mm -hmm. this is what you must be. Yeah. Yeah, I know sometimes I've been hard on my kids too, but I think – you know, no, it's reality. Like I never tried to sugarcoat how hard the world was going to be, you know? And when I tell Miranda, oh, I love your painting. It's amazing. Whatever. She knows that I, I really mean it. I'm not just saying that because she's my kid and I'm like trying to pump her up with sunshine. Um, I think that's, for me, that's worked. I guess everybody has different methods, but you have to be yourself as a parent. I think that's one of the hardest things people realize. I, in the TV pilot I just wrote, there's these two women who are kind of on a road trip together from two different generations. They're old enough, like far enough apart to be mother and daughter, but they're both bad mothers. And uh, I think it kind of feeds into that fear that we have as parents that we're just not any good at it. And at one point, you know, the woman says, nobody's any good at it. We just love them and do our best. You know, it's, um, that's all you can do. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the truth. Uh, that's all you can do. And, you know, I like that. We love we love them and do our best. Um, now, what about identity? You know, and, and I'm not just talking about uh, the identity of your children. You know, identity general, generally speaking. You know, we oftentimes, um, at this time of year, given it's the end of the year, uh, and we're looking at a new one, we reflect on who we are, what we've become, what we want to become. What's your whole sense of that, the sense of identity, personal identity? I think that's part of where my Buddhist studies come in. You know, they say um, there is no self, there is only self. Um, it's, I, I don't think identity is permanent, yet at the same time there are things that um, I listened to the Cocaine and Rhinestones podcast recently, for example. It's the history of 20th century uh, music, uh, Tyler Mahan Co. It's amazing. He is so well-researched and 
cross references when things were released and all of these stories and some of them he heard growing up when he was a kid. And there's an episode on the Bakersfield sound and it's, you know, how this particular sound of country music came to sound like that. And that's what I heard when I was a kid in California in the late seventies. And um, that's what my mom's boyfriend at the time, a blind country Western musician named Country George, he had a band Country George in the Western swing. And I used to go and sit like right in the front at the bar and watch the steel guitar. And that's what it always like every time I hear music, I'm like, oh, that sounds right to me. That's what country music is supposed to sound like. There's something in me that formed as a child, like just loving that music that when I don't feel quite balanced or I don't feel quite right or grounded or I don't know who I am, like I put that on and I'm like, everything makes sense again. So go ahead. No, I wasn't saying anything. Okay. So I think somewhere there's like a molecular thing or it's a cellular kind of memory or something things that make us feel like ourselves or you know we can be ourselves like when we're not paying attention when we're not self-conscious like that's who we are um but as soon as you try to put your finger on it it it, it's elusive it's gone you know it it squiggles away because then you're paying attention and then you're self-conscious and then you're going to edit and um i don't know if I'm answering your question at all. <laughs> you are answering my question about identity. Uh, and it, it sounds very Buddhist, uh, the way you're, you're looking at it. Uh, once you try to define it, then, of course, you're excluding something. That's also, there's a Western philosopher, I believe, Derrida, uh, who, who said the same thing to a certain extent. You know, once you try to, once you start defining something, you exclude a part of what it is. Right. Cause it's always changing. And so everything we experience, everything we learn changes us. You know, we, we're this person until we experience some kind of trauma and, and then that trauma becomes how we react to things, how we respond, whether, you know, whether or not we smile anymore or, um, or we then we have depression and that changes us or we're not eating the right vitamins. <laughs> I think a lot of it, what we think of as identity is very physical. Um, it, it's and it, it can change so quickly. Well, you know, then there's you remind me of Nietzsche, though, too. Nietzsche, I believe, said uh, that we live the same life over and over and over again. Yeah, I wonder about that sometimes. Yeah, me too. I mean, how do you interpret that? I, I do reflect on that statement often. I think when I get deja vu, it's really creepy. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> have, have I really done this before? Am, am I? Do I have a chance to fix it and make it right this time? There's always that kind of nagging superstition or whatever that comes along with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I... You know, what matter can't be created or destroyed, so it goes somewhere. That's what I mean. I think there's something that happens, like, on that cellular level that, I don't know, we just don't understand. And and then you see parents and children and the, the genetic stuff 
that, um, you know, were just copies. Right. You know? And that's a little that's a little uh, creepy. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when like, I was like, we're, but we're different, you know, So, or like we've got both parents or then like, you know, all these people will have red hair. It skips a generation and the grandkids have red hair. They're like, where did that come from? It was like in there the whole time. <laughs> right. And, and, um, and when you see also, I mean, you see physical uh, similarities in a person, it doesn't necessarily mean that the probably doesn't mean that spiritually, intellectually, uh, they're the same as the people that they physically look like. Mm-hmm. But it could be uh, a detriment to the, for that individual who looks like somebody else because they're going to be perceived as the person they look like to a certain extent. Oh, yeah. We we treat people based, you know, on our perception. There was just a study about that recently. You know, people who are overweight, we think are lazy or this or that. You know, people like we, we people who are small, we think of in one way. Like we have these perceptions that are, you know, just, you know, prejudices that nobody's going to tell you, you know, that you're wrong for having them <laughs> because they're so pervasive. We don't even realize that we treat people differently based on how they look or carry themselves. That's why confidence is so important. You're right. I mean, I mean, what we're talking when we're talking right now. I mean, it's great. We're talking about racism, right? We're talking about sexism. We're talking about all the prejudice and and all the uh, injustice of prejudging folks based on their physical way. Yeah, yeah. Like a young girl that looks pretty isn't wise, <laughs> for example, because she doesn't have you know, glasses and gray hair. It's just silliness. Or that some (laughs) old man with gray hair is wise. Yeah. (laughs) Right. He must know what he's talking about. Right. He looks like, yeah, no. That would be all the politicians. (laughs) Right, exactly, exactly, exactly. That is a... a Because they look the part, right? They They look like politicians. They do. They do, but uh, they don't uh, necessarily have that quality of wisdom that we uh, were talking about, for sure. You know, they're, uh, when you're trying to find a counterpoint to, to uh, prove a, a certain uh, premise or uh, assertion incorrect, there you go. You know, all older people with gray hair are wise. Well, look at Congress. Uh, I, yeah. I disagree. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, anyway, we're talking to Kitty Bell Burbank here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours, a regular contributor, a writer, activist, and uh, our resident baker and candlestick ma- stick maker as well. And uh, she's uh, she's sharing her insight with us. And in this holiday uh, time of year, as we usually do with Kitty Bell, we have her on. Um, right around the Christmas, New Year's time. And uh, I, I wanted to get into... A little bit more about the notion of confidence you were talking about, um, and and uh, how it relates to you know the preoccupation uh, and prejudice that comes from other folks based on who you might look or like or what you might look like to them. And you know, I was I had a, an interview recently with or a conversation I should say with Prudus Wright Holmes, a 
oh a, yeah, a great actress out of New York City, and um, she was talking about working with Meryl Streep early on. They're both about the same age, Prudence and Meryl. Uh, Prudence and Meryl, and this uh, before Meryl Streep was was a big, huge star. And the, so you know, these are just two young actresses working together. And Prudence noticed this great, great confidence that Meryl Streep had. You know, she was mm-hmm. she was really impressed by the confidence that she had. Right. She wouldn't be where she is without it. Exactly. And that's not to say arrogant. She also said she was a very nice person. I think it's, it's, it's faith. It's having no doubt that you are doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing, that you belong where you are. And, you know, it's, I think, again, there's that, it's a lack of questioning. So it's, you're you're self aware, but you're you're not you're aware of the right things, maybe as opposed to the wrong things. So you're not paying attention to, you know, the anxiety or discomfort, or or you're you're paying more attention to the positive things. If that makes sense. Yeah, you, 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 but you know, I mean, you do have to reflect in your whole being, but not to get caught up in and the negative too much or get lost in it. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. You know, now we, we talked about home a little bit, or coming home at least for the holidays, but what, what does home mean to you? What does the whole idea of home mean to you? Wow. That, you know, that's hard because we moved so much when I was a kid that like I don't have a home where you know I grew up that I could go to um right now there was a couple of them and they none of them really you know stuck out to me as a place where I wanted us to be for any length of time but for me home is that place where you feel like you belong where you feel comfortable where you feel safe it's your own space um you know where there's yeah, I mean, where you can all get together and, you know, huddle together and uh, uh, enjoy each other's company without distraction or um, any kind of threats. And could you, could you have a sense of home when you're alone? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm a nester, I guess, in a sense. Like, you give me a place for two minutes and I'll start decorating <laughs> or I'll find a way to make it my space, to make it a, a more comfortable place where, you know, I have the things around me that maybe remind me of that identity or that past. Or I have a lot of artwork that inspires me and... Um, you know, pictures of people who have mattered to me and my kids, you know, throughout the years. And they don't have to be here. You know, I think we carry that stuff with us inside. So sometimes that home is just a way to take it out of yourself for a minute and put it around you, you know, because we carry it around. We carry our memories, our feelings and our experiences but to, to have the evidence, the physical evidence of it um, is cool. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Um, so you, you, that's cultural, you know, I mean, that's a cultural thing in a way, a personal culture, uh, as, as well as a, the larger world coming in and influencing who you are culturally. So uh, let's talk a bit about that. You know, I mean, we, we alluded to it a little already. Um, you know, the, it's a, a vice versa sort of deal, like culturally being culturally invigorated versus being culturally oppressed. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I thought you might like that. Yeah, I do. And I'm, when I saw it before in that text message, I'm like, what does that mean? Um, and I, and I guess, I don't know. There's different ways of, of trying to interpret that for me. Like cultural oppression is unfortunate. I mean, so what is that? You you can't find your own voice or you can't express your own voice because either there are no outlets or um, you're marginalized. Nobody thinks what you have to say is important. Or they think, um, yeah. yeah, or they think what you have to say is dangerous or inappropriate or you know what have you. Um, yeah, and what was the other thing? It was so it was in invigorated, culturally invigorated versus being culturally right. oppressed. You know, I mean, both yeah. happen. I think both happen. Right. Well, because then there's there's self oppression. There's people that are like, well, I'm not going to watch that show or listen to that music because I'm not black or I'm not a girl, you know, so that doesn't have anything to do with me. There's that kind of like self-oppression where we don't, we're not open to things. I think if you're, you know, cultural invigoration, you're allowing, you're allowing yourself to hear and experience all of the voices, whether you think you can identify with them or not. Um, so, so people can oppress themselves by just not being open to trying things. Definitely. And, okay. and, of, and of course, we all know, I think anybody that has been around for a little bit of time and has looked at history and, and present day uh, human behavior, that cultural oppression outside of, you know, your own self definitely exists. Almost silly to even say it, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's hard, though. I mean, and they're trying to change that. I, I see that with contests and opportunities. And one of the um, people I'm, I'm in grad school with is a transgender woman. And pretty much everything she's writing is about her transgender experience, which is, you know, maybe someday that won't have to be the focal point. You could just have transgender characters and nobody like looks twice. But for her right now, she's also getting opportunities because of that. She's been invited to participate in things because they're looking for people that have stories like hers that are, are being told in a good way. You know, so there's opportunities that, you know, that she has that I, I can't, you know, partake in. So, so there's a lot of a lot of changes happening pretty quickly. Um, what's going to stick? I don't know. It's hard to say, but I know there's, you know, that I just read something recently where 
white actors were complaining about like they're just not even audition auditioning anymore because everybody just wants diverse people. But then like the person that wrote this response was like, look at the statistics. You know, you are still in the majority of parts <laughs> just because they're looking to include more people and they're actually trying to create opportunities for, you know, a diversity of you know, appearances doesn't mean you still aren't going to get most of the parts. So, you know, stop complaining. Well, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, when as soon as the norm uh, and changes because of cultural shifts, the people in, in the majority that are used to that norm get a little bit uh, upset. They'll, you know, it, it, it makes them uncomfortable. It's change. Mm-hmm. And, and they're losing a little bit of something that they had. Yeah, I mean, there is some loss. I, I can recognize that. I'm not saying it's yeah. okay. I'm just saying it makes sense. Yeah. You know, change and, and people feeling like they're, they're, all the opportunity they had is limited a little bit, even though it's for the sake of fairness and justice and uh, the good that comes with diversity. Uh, it, it still, they are going to be, whoa, a lot of folks, not all folks, but a lot of folks in that majority, in that more privileged segment of society is going to say, wait, you know, why are you taking that away from me? Oh, it's the thing about power. People are like, well, I don't mind if they have whatever, but don't make me give up anything that I have. <laughs> but right. it doesn't work that way. You can't, you know, give someone else power without giving up some of your own. Right, exactly, exactly. You can't, you can't say, yeah, it's all good as long as it doesn't bother me. Right. If you're really in, <laughs> if you really support, you know, positive change, and then uh, you know, we can go on and on about th- this. Is a very complicated scenario, though. It, you know, and if you do believe, to put it succinctly, in a diverse, just society, then you know, opportunity spreads throughout the, all segments of society. It's you know, things should be proportional to a certain extent i suppose i don't even know if proportionality is the right word i'm not sure of that even uh, you know it's, yeah. it's very complicated uh, <laughs> um, it is yeah because minority groups are not going to be in uh, obviously f- for that re- re- realistic uh, physicality it, they're not going to have that power of numbers so then in a way if you want th- those folks to be included too in, in your larger uh, societal endeavor and experience, then I guess you have to make f- make some sort of design so that the fairness is 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 part of how how we how we function. And I, yeah, it's complicated. It is. Yeah, I was thinking recently about you know because my focus is women's studies, and you know I try to write female characters and increase that. And you're looking at. Well, why still, after all this time, are there not more women writers and women's work being done and submitted? And one of the things that I think I've learned in school recently is, you know, especially with film, you have to have these really active characters. And for decades, women have been trained to be more passive Um, in life like if you're too aggressive that was a bad thing I mean a lot of this goes back to the 90s and it's changed some but it's still there's decades of of conditioning that have happened to make women compliant to make them you know more flexible adaptable easier to just go along with whoever's in charge you know 
And I think that that has been an issue for women writers trying to write in this way where these, you know, the central character needs to be the one that does things and is really active because it's been a challenge for me in my writing um, because I guess I, I'm more of a backseat kind of a person, <laughs> you know, and to write people who would just do things that I would never do. It's, it's a, it's a retraining, you know, so it takes a long time. Yeah, it does. Well, Kitty oh, Bell, yeah. speaking of time, we're just about out of time for this go-round, this conversation with Kitty, Kitty Bell Burbank here on uh, Troubadours and Rock on Tours. It's always a pleasure. Any, any closing thoughts for the folks, you know, about the new year, the holiday season, what have you? You'd like to share? Um, I have my holiday poem if, it's, if there's enough time to read it. I don't yeah. know if we ran out of time. Yeah, let's go out, on, let's go out with that. Okay. A poem by Kitty Bell Burbank. Yes. So this is All You Want. And the first line is after a line in uh, Rachel McKibben's poem. There is no shame in wanting as long as you don't hate what you have. Do not shun your desire. Restless is where you need to be. If God wanted us to be satisfied, you wouldn't feel like this. Thirsty, missing pieces, underwhelmed, Burning eyes scanning the horizon can't put down the remote. It's okay to want people to shut up so you can hear the music. They don't know what they're missing. As long as you know none of this is about you and every loudmouth there for the party instead of the people has to live her own song. Just don't ask for your innocence back or try to unravel mistakes. Test your longing. That high you crave is a mirage, a distraction from the work it takes. You don't want to self-destruct chasing decoys. Direct, question the direction of your moving. And if all you want for Christmas is thicker skin, an invisible bubble of protection so you can be in the crowd and above it all at once, the memories you lost, someone to build a fort with, to sleep curled up in safe, the confidence of feeling wanted, there's no reason to be sorry. There's nothing wrong with you for wanting more. You are not George Bailey. You haven't reached your potential. There are flavors yet to taste and streets you haven't walked. Until then, be satisfied with your hunger. Beautiful. Happy holidays, Kitty Bell. Happy holidays. Happy New Year, too. Talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. If you know what's best The mercury is falling There's a storm rolling in From the Midwest He called for two feet of snow So I turned off my radio I heard enough I'm gonna drive all night to be snowed in with the woman I love. Forty miles an hour from Connecticut to Maine. That's as fast as I could go. 
desert lights are flashing on the car spinning out by the side of the road now you might think i'm crazy but if you ever met my baby you'd know why i'm out here in this stuff i'm gonna drive all night to be snowed in with the woman i love now when we wake up in the morning and they haven't cleared the streets and everyone is digging out after the storm honey calling sick instead and crying back into bed i know a thing or two that's bound to keep us warm oh yes i do i had a couple close calls white knuckles on the wheel and my nerves are frayed But she's gonna throw her arms around me Flash those baby blues And all of my worries just gonna melt away Now I'm pulling in the drive I should be glad to be alive But she's all I'm thinking I drove all night You know I drove all night You know I drove all night To be snowed in with the woman I love Woman I An excerpt from the book written by Thich Nhat Hanh, a Buddhist monk. This book is titled, How to Sit. Don't just do something, sit there. When people say, don't just sit there, do something, they're urging you to act. But if the quality of your being is poor, if you don't have enough peace, understanding, and equanimity, if you still have a lot of anger and worries, then your actions will also be poor. Your actions should be based on the foundation of a high quality of being. Being is non-action, so the quality of action depends on the quality of non-action. Non-action is already something. There are people who don't seem to do very much, but their presence is crucial for the well-being of the world. You may know people like this who are steady, not always busy doing things, not making a lot of money, or being engaged in a lot of projects, but who are very important to you. The quality of their presence makes them truly available. They are contributing non-action, the high quality of their presence, to be in the here and the now, solid and fully alive, is a very positive contribution to our collective situation. Here's a story titled The Monk on the Platform. When I was a novice monk in Vietnam, I went to a temple called Hai Duc, 
where I saw a Zen master sitting. He wasn't in the meditation hall. He was sitting on a simple platform made from perhaps five planks of wood. It was painted brown and was very clean. On the platform was a small table with four legs that were a little bit bent. That little table had a vase of flowers on it. I saw the Zen master sitting on the platform facing the table. He was sitting very naturally and peacefully, his spine straight and his body at ease. As a young child, I saw a drawing of the Buddha sitting on the grass. He looked very free, relaxed, and peaceful, as well as very kind. Now I was seeing a real human being sitting like that. This was a person like me, not an illustration or someone belonging to another world. Seeing the monk on the platform was a very holy experience. I wanted to be able to sit like that monk. I knew that sitting like that would bring me happiness. Doing less. Many of us keep trying to do more and more. We do things because we think we need to, because we want to make money, accomplish something, take care of others, or make our lives and our world better. Often we do things without thinking, because we are in the habit of doing them, because someone asks us to, or because we think we should. But if the foundation of our being is not strong enough, then the more we do, the more troubled our society becomes. Sometimes we do a lot, but we don't really do anything. There are many people who work a lot. There are people who seem to meditate a lot, spending many hours a day doing sitting meditation, chanting, reciting, lighting a lot of incense, but who never transform their anger, frustration, and jealousy. This is because the quality of our being is the basis of all our actions. With an attitude of accomplishing, judging, or grasping all of our actions, even our meditation will have that quality. The quality of our presence is the most positive element that we contribute to the world. Looking deeply, sitting meditation is a practice that helps us heal and transform. It helps us to be whole and to look deeply into ourselves and into what's around us in order to see clearly what is really there. Looking deeply, we light up the recesses of our mind and look into the heart of things in order to see their true nature. Freedom. In the present moment, who can be free from regret concerning the past and from fear concerning the future? Happiness isn't possible without freedom. Coming back to the present moment, we are released from our worries, our fears, our regrets, our projects, and our busyness. Arriving home. When you sit, sit in such a way that you feel you have already arrived. To sit doesn't mean to struggle. When you sit, sit so that sitting becomes an arrival into the present moment. Enjoy your arrival. How wonderful to have arrived. How wonderful to feel that you are home, that your true home is in the here and now. Sitting like that, joy and peace become a reality. You radiate this joy and peace and it benefits everyone around you.
crazy. Squash it down into the puddles as they morph in shape and travel the concourse of this nearby topography. I want to be a bastion of courage and wisdom, though it seems wanting such just might reveal how one is not there yet. Or perhaps instead it reveals an essence of enlightenment. How can it be known? How can the masters be dethroned with objective truth and the strength of pure love? Some will call this crazy. couple drinks last night and a few good hits from an inner pipe that I must admit I had a few white lines and I don't know what all happened I woke up in the noontime light with a pounding head shining on my eye and I don't know how and I don't know why but it feels like fierce abandon all working on a building out of hand hewn brimstone working on a building and I'm building episode 299 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, our regular contributor, writer, activist, baker, and candlestick maker, Kitty Bell Burbank. Such a joy to talk with you as always. Happy New Year. I also would like to thank the great Buddhist monk, 
Thichnat Han, and these musical artists, Django Reinhardt, Stefan Grappelli, The Beatles, Morning Benders, Joshua Headley, John Coltrane, Tyler Childers, as well as Brantford Marsalis and Terence Blanchard too. And of course, all of you for listening. And how about some respect for the great affiliates that broadcast us out of the Southern Missouri Ozarks, KZGM, in Mount Vernon, in the state of Washington, KSVR, in Maine, Harpswell Radio, in Vermont, two great stations, WBTV in Burlington, and WOOL Black Sheep Radio out of Bellows Falls, Vermont, and of course, Brooklyn, yeah, Radio Free Brooklyn, thank you so much, and WFTE here in the Pocono Mountains and Scranton, Pennsylvania. Great to be working with you folks. Until next week, let's give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Thanks for listening.